My name is Dr. James Waldron, and I'm a portfolio GP in Nottingham, a GP educator, and I co-host the GP Notebook Study Groups. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. You can follow us to receive notifications about new episodes as they're added. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on X at GP Notebook for info and updates on podcasts study groups, and a lot more. And you can also follow me at Jamius Dodges. Finally, check out the show notes and have a look around at our brand new GP Notebook website. In this episode, we are rejoining Dr. Alex Lai of the Workwell Doctors to discuss digital well-being, this time for patients and about conducting the consultation with them. We've also done one on digital well-being for clinicians, so have a listen back to that. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me, James. So, this is the second time we've spoken and the first time we really looked about uh, digital well-being from our point of view as clinicians, about incorporating it a little bit into our day-to-day work, making sure that we are uh, resting our eyes, uh, 20 seconds every 20 minutes looking away from your screen. We talked about posture and, uh, and some of the physical impacts that sitting at a desk can have to us as well. Uh, We looked a little bit about our use of apps and looking at our phones and trying to put in some boundaries for how much we use social media, how much we uh, are contactable in WhatsApp and emails, and about making sure that we're maintaining our health moving forwards. Um, I'm really happy to expand on some of that today, but we're going to be looking a little bit about that consultation with a patient. Um, So, what actually is important here? What is important that we're talking about, So I think it's become incredibly prominent within our consultations, especially in the context of uh, children and young people. So at my previous practice, I I was a lead there on preventing suicide and looking at the mental health of children in the context of social media, especially. And we know that there is a lot of research coming out about the effects of phone usage, technology, and social media on development of uh, children's brains. But I do want to uh, make a clear caveat that this doesn't just affect children. Mm-hmm. We are the generations that are now so ingrained and reliant on technology. We are also uh, all susceptible to the negative effects of technology. Mm. I think that's really important to call out. I think that we feel that we are immune uh, to some of the impacts of this, but being that we use it more and more in our practice, it's going to become increasingly important. Um, And we've talked a little bit before about the increasing use of technology and and a little bit about AI. And I understand that you've had some some interaction with that recently and incorporated that into our practice. Yes. Uh, So as part of my uh, digital health fellowship, I've attended the um, Digital Rewired Conference, the uh, Health AI and Data Conference, and uh, particularly in my work around NHS staff well-being, uh, it's been interesting to follow the uh, new uh, technologies that are 
often promising a lot in terms of reducing our workload. And, and that is fantastic and something I'm very keen to see in terms of automation and AI that reduces our admin workload burden um, and therefore means that we can spend more time with our patients yeah. and on clinical care. But there is a key crux here, which is that we make sure that technology doesn't remove some of the simpler tasks, meaning that we are left with only the more complex comorbidities and therefore a heavier uh, decision burden to be made. And also that it isn't just transferring workload um, and makes sure that if we are freeing up time, there isn't an expectation for clinicians or NHS staff to be doing more with that, more work with that free time. And so actually it's got to be around freeing up that time so that we are able to look after ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to make sure that, as we mentioned a few times in the last podcast, um, that technology is working for us rather than it is taking over. And I think the key part here, as you're talking about this increase to use AI and e-consults and the like, is palatability for patients um, and, and use of it. Um, there's an element of sort of digital literacy for some patients that might find it difficult. And also recognising that mental health, which is something we're really going to focus on today, might be more difficult to access via that, that AI platform. There was certainly a lot uh, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of work done to uh, make sure that people weren't being digitally excluded. Actually, mm. a lot of uh, the fears that were there uh, were not completely founded. So mm. a, a lot of our patients are perfectly capable using um, the online forms. And certainly at, at my current uh, group of practices, we are able to uh, have a clinic to help onboard people with the new technology. There's lots of uh, information and we've created videos to help people signing up for the NHS app and around online access to their records. Yeah. I mean, that's great and, and very innovative to sort of bring people into using uh, technology that we were utilizing. Um, and, and I think it's important to note that we don't expect that everybody's going to be able to use it the same way. So I think that sounds like wonderful work. Um, but that being said, it, it does seem that the evidence suggests that more people are using technology, more people are using social media. Um, and one of the concerns certainly is because, um, actually, if we look at uh, some recent data, we've got, we've got 2022 here, UK online audiences spent approximately two hours per day on social media. Um, and when we think about some of the consults that we're having, um, we know that throughout the pandemic um, and ongoing, we're having increasing numbers of patients who are um, reporting difficulties with sleep, um, difficulties with anxiety. And, and it is interlinked in terms of having those uh, running thoughts through your head, causing that transient insomnia where you're waking in the middle of the night. So one of the things I always ask my patients is, you know, what is their routine before bed? Um, what time do they go to bed? How long do they sleep for before they wake up? What it is that's causing them to wake up? So do they wake up with running thoughts through their head? And then how easy it is for them to go back to sleep? Because we know that uh, there's some good research around externalizing those subconscious thoughts through journaling before bed can help reduce that 
running subconscious that wakes us up mm-hmm. and that is far better than our patients uh, taking their phone to their bedroom reading scrolling through social media reading all of the the news we, you know we weren't meant to be so uh, accessible to all of the the plights and and the conflicts and the, and the sadness around the world mm-hmm. be slightly addictive because we have to fight these algorithms that are being created to generate your human emotion that division um, and elicit a response from you which can be exhausting before bed yeah what well, I mean certainly uh, we're we're in a very tragic and difficult time of humanity at the moment and and that's going to be impacting people a lot I mean we've mentioned this addiction we've mentioned the uh, the necessity to check it what does that do to our brains so as, as far as in my uh, minimal expertise there there are uh, multiple research sh- studies showing this dopamine hit that we get from checking our phones the notifications which are triggering us to check our phones and the way that the algorithms are created to um, get a not only reaction but um a almost addictive nature to continuously check to seek that dopamine hit uh, through scrolling and so you know anecdotally I, I remember watching this kid on a bus and she was able to scroll 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 like comment scroll 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 and it, the speed at which mm. they are having to view these TikTok reels and what is grabbing their attention, what is seeking their approval is astounding. Um, and we know that actually there is this link between your attention and how this Amazon Now culture is affecting the human population, uh, the ability to focus, to concentrate longer. Um, and there are even studies that are showing um, problematic social media use and the frequency with similar changes in brain structure to those with substance misuse or gambling addictions. Um, and very, very difficult to combat that because the social media and the algorithms, as we mentioned a few times, there are set up to keep you, keep you hooked. Um, and the thing I also muse there is that the algorithms are looking for an emotional response, so they they seek to to divide us even further, um, and and particularly you know particularly at at difficult times in in, in human history, division is 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 only going to cause us more problems, isn't it? So, what sort of impact can this divisive nature of um, social media have on on our side, particularly on young people? So, I think we've seen with um, social media and access to uh, the internet, as well as uh, the ability for any person with with certain privileges to be able to have a platform has had in terms of the challenges for us as clinicians, because we are now tackling a lot of misinformation, um, which makes our jobs a lot harder. Um, but also we know that there are a whole host of negative effects with regards to mental health issues. And so I really uh, would encourage uh, and remind you when you are talking to teenagers to include it in your history taking with regards to, you know, checking how things are going at school, 
um, you know, are there any sexual relations you need to know about? And what is your social media use like? Um, how, uh, you know, uh, how is it being monitored by the parents? And, you know, what is their usage like at home? Because one of the, the sad things that we are seeing is that, unfortunately, uh, compared to when we were growing up, bullying doesn't stop at the door anymore. They are able to be bullied um, incessantly through their phone and they are uh, bullied by people who are, you know, behind a screen because unfortunately I had a, a teenage girl who angered someone with a lot of followers and all of their followers were hounding her with death threats. And this was you know, over 10,000 people privately messaging this girl. So it is important that we consider cyberbullying. We know that social media can have really profound effects on people's body image and their sleeping patterns um, and their formative growth, you know, around identity, because actually, you know, if they have a social media platform, they're expected to present an identity that they may not have formed yet. And they are also um, influenced by what's there on the um, social media before they've fully identified, you know, who they are, what type of adult they want to be, you know, what their personality is, mm. and self-confidence that comes from maturing um, mm. before someone says, you're meant to look like this, you're meant to behave like this, you're meant to believe this. Um, and so I would be very um, proactive about discussing that use with parents and with adults and with children um, as well as considering you know the benefits of not providing all of these uh, technologies till a bit later on and also the importance of having screen time away so uh, again uh, some really good uh, evidence around taking a social media detox for people of all ages myself included through the work well doctors we trialed it and there's good evidence to show reduction in anxiety and depression scores from taking that social media break yeah i mean it's becoming more prevalent isn't it we are uh, we were looking at holidays recently and one of the, the main thing that they were advertising was absolutely no signal and i think you know it's actually quite quite attractive um but I mean, I, th I think I think what you explained there is is extremely pertinent. Um, we, we talk about body image worries. We talk about sort of development and and back you know back when we were when we were young. Gosh, at thirty five, talking about when we were young, that makes me sound very old, doesn't it? But the the, the issues with the glossy magazines uh, were talked about then. But this problem is is multiplied uh, with with the easy access to social media. And the other thing I'd quite like to pick up is that um, that you were talking about having these conversations. I think that conversations with patients, I think that presents quite a unique challenge for us to have the vocabulary and the understanding of actually what is about to have effective conversations. Um, have you got any tips to, to to start those conversations or ways to approach it? So I think uh, this ties back in with the first podcast in terms of the way that we would do it for ourselves and to each other, which is that most uh, phones now have in settings some sort of screen time review or digital well-being on Google devices. 
um, and getting them to to be open about it. You know, have a look. How much time are you surprised by the amount of time you spend on it? Um, how do you feel about it? You know, applying a bit of open-ended questions from coaching, you know, what do you think you might be able to change? Obviously, in the context of a 10 to 15 minute consultation, you are just bringing it to the surface for something for them to consider. And even often, you know, in these teen cases with with uh, poor mental health, the parent is there. And maybe you guys could have a discussion and support each other as a family. You know, do you need to go back to the basics of, um, you know, no phones at the dinner table? Does it need to be um, more severe if if they're suicidal, if they're up on their phones all night, you know, uh, thinking about should you have them in your room? Do you need to, if they say that they need it as an alarm clock, can you have you know, buy them an analog clock? Uh, is it around uh, usage uh, at school and the distraction there? You know, banning, as many parents here may know, doesn't always work. There's always a way around. So trying to involve them in the discussion, make it part of a family supportive unit. If they don't have that supportive unit, you know, could they consider, you know, uh, other ways of just reducing that screen time bit by bit is it that they can incentivize in some other way but but just opening up that discussion so that they recognize the focus throw in a few statistics about how um you know uh spending more than three hours a day on social networks doubles your risk of bad mental health outcomes um um trying to recognize that influence on on them their sleep their their self-confidence i think that open conversation is is a really powerful tool to have and i think that quite a lot of people will be quite happy that they've been asked about it it's likely that they worry about it but it's a real challenge you know uh especially especially for not a 19 year old i suppose um I've never used TikTok in my life. I, I don't, nor Snapchat, but it's it's a really prevalent thing that is being used. And if you say, well, I'm on Facebook, they're like, well, that's for old people. <laughs> and um, that's why I would use the the tool and, and look at it on the phone with them, ask them if yeah. they can bring it up mm -hmm. um, because you are their trusted GP. Mm -hmm. And um, you won't know uh, the latest social media tools because there's always new ones and you know and now it's x and mm. then there's threads um so you know, there will always be something new so the phone will tell you what they are engaging with most and then thinking about could they consider by next time you know it as a goal um not just around now biopsychosocial but as part of the social, that is one of the contexts to aim to eat better, to exercise more, to reduce your screen time. It's something that we need to be aware of. But also recognizing that social media and technology has many benefits as well. And we're not negating that. We know that, you know, there's a reason 95% of them use it because it can support them with their mental health and well-being, especially for the LGBTQ plus community through peer connection, identity development, social mm. support. Um, and we know that there are positive or identity affirming content uh, out there that make them feel more accepted, help them explore their creative side. Um, and obviously, 
these are people that have grown up through a pandemic where that may have been their only source of connection mm. during really difficult times. And we have yet to see the full extent of the effect of that on their development. And so actually uh, these communities that they have on social media may encourage them to seek treatment mm. for their mental health. Um, so I think tying in that with depending on your area and whose approach do you for those mental health discussions, having a check-in about what they're following. So tell them they have control over who they follow and a reminder that if there is ever someone that they are following who does not make them feel good about themselves, it is good for them to unfollow mm. because the algorithm will always suggest things no matter how much you don't want it but you have the control over your mood. So you have to proactively reduce following those terrible influences that we know are affecting kids in schools mm -hmm. and following more of the positive things. So when I think one of the interesting discussions here is around ADHD, mm. those discussions that I've had with parents going, do you think that if you were asked you know, do you sometimes forget things? Do you sometimes struggle to concentrate? Um, you might also answer yes. And that is obviously not the extent of ADHD, but recognizing with that anecdotal story I told earlier about our attention span, it is decreasing with use of social media and access to everything in this generation. But we know that there are challenges around diagnosis and assessment and waiting times for treatment with the yeah. increase in awareness, which is a good thing, but also the increase in number of people who think that they might have ADHD who might not, not to negate the people that do. One of the best things that I can do, having had, you know, some, this is all from uh, personal experience uh, as a mental health carer, but you can recommend a lot of forums out there which help people with ADHD and help them to understand and recognize the symptoms as well as ways to manage it that aren't medical treatment. So um, to give you some examples, there's ADHD love. That's a couple exploring um, the influences of living with someone with ADHD and the ways that they have formulated conversations and things that may help to reduce the struggles that come with ADHD. Mm. So having a look for some of those positive uh, accounts that help people to manage is so helpful when you have a four-year wait to diagnosis yeah. and not want treatment as your management. Yeah, I, I, th I think what I would pick out from there is that one of the things that we can do to improve our consultations is to ensure that people are looking at good quality information and, and that is a, a part of our our constant uh, challenge as general practitioners to make sure that we are the most up to date and where are you getting your information from and yes you've become aware because of xyz social media influence but where can one get good quality information later on um, and that's about you know that's about building relationships with our patients as well and uh using continuity and building trust and um, that, that helps people come to you and say well actually where should i be looking um so 
at the start of their journey before their two, three, four year wait for diagnosis, this can be a really good place to go. And, and also not underestimate the beneficial impact of being connected to community that they might um, not have access to otherwise. So we, we've explored a lot here. We've talked obviously about the impact of social media and media use on sleep. Um, I think that's a really amazing thing to talk about because so often do people come and say, I'm struggled, struggling to sleep. Can you give me some tablets? But actually this is, gives us another avenue of things that we know impact on sleep uh, to explore and to try and impact on. We've talked about impact on mental health. We've talked about um, ADHD, neurodevelopmental uh, issues as well. We've talked about sort of impact on on the person as well and confidence and body image. Uh, and we talked about bullying as well, which is a thing I think a lot of us wouldn't expect to have conversations with, but becoming increasingly prevalent. So with all of this, with, with the consultation, what sort of strategies would you recommend that we employed to try and improve on this, that we could give advice to our patients um, or to try and sort of lessen the damage? Okay, uh, so focusing first on sleep, as I said, exploring, as we all know, the sleep hygiene, the routine before bed, which is the baths and the oils, etc. But what they're doing, where their phone is, can they keep it out of the room? Um, and then mainly around what I found effective around this issue of waking up. So journaling and reading before bed, fine. Scrolling through news and social media, not fine. If they do have trouble getting to sleep, uh, there are uh, lots of mindfulness tools that can be mm. used to help get to sleep. And this applies to both initially and in the middle of the night. So three things, maybe four, uh, <laughs> that can be effective for them to try, which I use a lot to uh, prevent people from going on to any Z drugs, mm. is uh, firstly... If they're waking up in the middle of the night, there is the Headspace app, which isn't free. So again, based off of your community and your cohort of patients, um, they have a sleep SOS. So nighttime SOS that basically uses mindfulness tools to control the breathing, control the vagus nerve and get them back to sleep. Mm -hmm. A similar thing, which is a dodo. So D-O-D-O-W is... Uh, a little machine that casts a very pale light on the ceiling and you follow the circle expanding and shrinking and essentially slow your heart rate and lull yourself back to sleep. So similar to counting sheep can be effective. It's about 50 pounds. So again, depends on your community, but can be a good investment. Uh, the third thing would be Sleepio. So this is now... Uh, well evidenced by NICE to be more effective than any medication for treatment of insomnia. It's a six-week course that my co-founder, Dr. Joshi, has been on herself, um, which was effective at uh, improving insomnia through CBT approach, uh, which is guided, and it's uh, lottery-based, but it's essentially about £3.50 a week. So the cost of a coffee, you say to the patients, and if it's something that they've been struggling with for a long time, can be effective at helping mm. them to sleep. Yeah. I think that is, it's it's really interesting here that we're talking about technology's impact on sleep and that there is a, there's a slight irony of using using apps and uh, 
and technology to help with that. But actually, I just think it goes to show how used effectively and used as a tool in a reasonable amount of time can be a very, very useful thing uh, for patients. But excessive consumption is, is where we get the problems. And the other thing I saw that we talked about in, in the last one that might be helpful, this is exercise and, um, and increasing sort of activity, physical activity, because if you're out in nature, hopefully you're not using your phone quite so much and, and it's, it's good for sleep as well. Yes, uh, massive uh, component of overarching health that we know is incredibly important uh, and has been well evidenced is, you know, uh, green space prescribing and connection with nature um, and making sure that uh, we are not separating planetary health from physical health. I think they're very sage words, uh, not to uh, to think that we can remove ourselves sort of from the planet. Um, and those things are always going to be really important. So we mentioned about sleep there. Any other strategies you might employ from the mental health side of things? Absolutely. Um, again, where we are talking about digital well-being, and it is using technology to our advantage because we know that realistically most people cannot we cannot just stop using technology therefore we have to make sure that we are using the technology and the technology is not using us one great way of informing yourself of this if you're interested is watching the social dilemma um on netflix um which essentially talks about these boundaries and the influence and and it can be really helpful to get some more language that we can use as clinicians mm. um, in terms of protecting ourselves from overuse. Unfortunately, it is a bit of nannying, but there are apps such as OneSec that make you do a mindful breath before you open an app. And so do you want to still continue to use that app or do you want to step away? Having to be more forceful in terms of putting things in different rooms, in terms of uh, our mental health if you are going to get out and exercise or walk into nature not always taking your device everywhere with you um, unfortunately it is something that uh, has become so prevalent as we said that we we overuse it um, and then in terms of ADHD uh, so I mentioned the social media accounts that are, are very positive in helping people understand their ADHD mm -hmm. and think tools that they can use and strategies that they can use to overcome that. Um, so they do have a book called Dirty Laundry, um, which discusses uh, adults with ADHD and how they can cope. Um, and there is a, a fascinating book called Stolen Focus by mm. Johan Hari, which again explores in further detail our relationship with technology and the effects on our brain chemistry. Mm. Well, that sounds really fascinating read and certainly something I will... I will endeavour to read as we go through. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Alex, about the impact of social media and digital technology uh, for forces for good and, and forces for, uh, well, impact on our on our health and our mental health as well. Um, and I really, really hope that listeners at home have gained some strategies they might use. I think for me, it's about having an open conversation and bringing it up to patients that it might be something that they want to think about and might be something they want to talk about. Um, and I'm sure lots of people at home will be reviewing their uses of apps and the impact that it might be having on their life that they may not be aware of. Um, do you have any closing words for us? Absolutely. So 
Um, thank you uh, for that kind summary. Um, I think one thing that came across from that and that has come across from our workshops is just to remember to, to be kind to yourself. You know, habits are formed over time and it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to travel a new path that's not well trodden. So to form those new, you know, neural pathways it's going to take time. Don't beat yourself up. The same with, you know, that paternalistic medicine where it's easy to judge others and their use, but it's going to take time to unpick that uh, codependency. And so, you know, one of the things we say in our workshops is setting a reminder to recheck in every month because it's not, it. it's always going to be uh, very easy to slide back into those old habits. And so we do need that constant kindness and compassion but also that reminder to ourselves to check in with our own digital well-being. Wonderful and and great words to end on. So thank you so much uh, to Dr. Lai for joining us today and for the previous podcast. If you haven't listened to that, please check it out. We've covered a, a, a lot today and even more in that one as well. I um, really hope to have you back on the podcast at some point in the future, uh, Alex. Um, it's, it's been really great and, and good luck with the Digital Fellowship um, and also with a Workwell Doctors. Um, remind us how we can get in contact with you about that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in setting up uh, a workplace wellbeing workshop, we have one specifically around digital wellbeing boundaries and breaks. Um, and so uh, you can visit the workwelldoctors.com. Uh, and if you are on Instagram, we're at the Workwell Doctors. And uh, feel free to join in on some of our tools, tips, and discussions there uh, and contact us at the workwell doctors at gmail.com um, for more information and you can follow me on instagram at dr alex lie spelled l-a-i uh, if you're interested on some of my musings on mental health uh, and especially around the well-being of nhs staff well thank you again alex um it's been wonderful speaking to you we hope to have you back again on the podcast at some point good luck with your digital fellowship um and work with the Workwell Doctors. Um, hopefully everybody's enjoyed listening to this podcast at home and we will catch you again at the next one. So thank you all for joining us and listening today. We hope you found this podcast interesting. For more info and links for the episode, you can have a look below, but also check back through our archives for all of the previous episodes that we've done, as well as loads more topics. Feel free to get in touch with us via social media at GP Notebook or email us if you've got any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. Why not check out our brand new website with a lot more info and information about GP Notebook and further study groups as well as free resources and information. Take care and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>